in the spirit of worship, uh, I just wanted to take just a second to plug what happened Friday night here in this auditorium. Um, quarterly, we have special worship nights, and Friday night was the most recent one. Um, maybe not planned at the best time in the world on fall break, uh, but uh, we'll look at that next year as we continue to plan those. But uh, it was an amazing night of worship. We were created to worship. And so I would think that every opportunity to worship is something we ought to take advantage of. So I would encourage you next year or next quarter as the night of worship starts to come together to try to make room for that in your calendar. You will be blessed for it. Um, recently, we lost a dear friend of ours, Mr. Mike Sigmund. Beautiful man. I remember distinctly my last conversation with Mike. It, it occurred right over here in this aisle. And Mike came up to me and with that amazing smile that he had and that awesome chuckle. Mike tapped me on the shoulder. He said, Brant, I just wanted to tell you what a, what a great job you've done the last few times I've heard you up here on the stage. And I don't say that for... I'm just repeating what he told me. Uh, he said, You've, uh, I've noticed something different lately. He said, I don't know if I can put my finger on it. He said, but you're just speaking the truth more boldly than I remember you ever speaking the truth before. And he said, I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Those were the last words I heard from my amazing friend, Mike. So I'm here to do so in his honor. Speak the truth boldly. And there may be some things that are hard to share or hard to hear, but they need to be said because they're the truth. We like to hear the truth, don't we? So in 1979, there was a flight that took off from New Zealand and it was headed for Antarctica. It was full of 255 passengers, staff, and a couple of pilots. And the, it was a sightseeing flight. Took off, headed for Antarctica. As they approached Antarctica, the pilots, two very seasoned pilots, started to kind of bank in in order to give the uh, passengers a real good view of Antarctica. Well, little did they know that they banked right into a volcano. And sadly, all 257 people on board perished. These two seasoned pilots didn't realize that they had set course two degrees wrong. So they ended up 28 miles away from their target, right into the side of a mountain. There's this rule in air navigation. It's called the 1 in 60 rule. A lot of you may know about this more than I do, but the 1 in 60 rule is this. For every one degree that you're off your intended target, for every 60 miles that you fly, you end up a mile away from your destination. So if you were to fly, I did a little calculation. If you were to fly from Nashville to Los Angeles 
and you were one degree off, you'd end up 30 miles off target. In this Antarctica situation, it was catastrophic. I would, I would suggest that in our faith, if we're off a degree or two, it can have some pretty catastrophic outcomes. So today, what I want to do is I want to take us back to our roots. I want to talk about the foundational truths that chart our course, that set our finish point. And I want to talk about it in a way that highlights what I would call the three fundamentals of our faith. So we're going to start in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So today, we're going to go back to the fundamentals of our faith to help us shape our future, to set ourselves on the right course, to aim for the right destination. Better said, we're going to go back to the fundamentals of our faith to allow God to set our course, shape our future. You know, fundamentals are very important. One of the best coaches arguably ever, John Wooden, coached UCLA basketball to 10 national championships, seven in a row. Remarkable. He was all about fundamentals. In fact, the story goes that two weeks before they would ever start practice, he would gather the team, he would pull up a stool, he would sit down, and he would teach them how to put socks on so that they could play without developing blisters, which would potentially impact their play later, right? You start at the very smallest things and build from there. Best coach ever. He knew that the small things mattered. I would suggest that in our lives, the small things, the small decisions, the small choices, the small thoughts, if not headed toward the right goal, can end up taking us off of our intended target. To understand why you are where you are, sometimes you need to go back to the beginning to understand where it all started. Fundamentals of faith. In John 1, 1 through 5, I think these verses uh, are what I would term course correction verses. If the pilots headed to Antarctica, 
knew they were off by a couple of degrees, I believe they would have made some course correction. Today, we want to talk about how to course correct. Understanding the truth of these five verses we've just read and actually staking our lives on the fact that they are true, it provides a firm foundation when the sands of culture are shifting all around us. And I think we can agree that the sands of culture are shifting. Are they not? We know about, we understand, we believe in the truth of the firm foundation. Unfortunately, not everyone has that same understanding. Living out the fundamentals helps increase our awareness so that we can recognize when the truth is being challenged. A deep, fundamentally sound faith helps us recognize the difference between what's genuine and what's counterfeit. Second Peter chapter 2. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Listen, we are continuously being exposed to counterfeit messages coming at us from all sides. And the messages are getting more and more creative all the time, are they not? I heard this example once in a Bible class upstairs. There's a gentleman that was sharing with us what he calls his arm's length philosophy. And he said, a lot of us in our Christian walk, we tend to hold sin at arm's length. And we never increase the distance. So as the world spirals further and further and deeper into sin, what are we doing? We're slowly getting closer and closer to a watered-down faith because we're just keeping it at arm's length. Why are we playing with fire? We know the truth. The truth will set you free. Don't practice an arm's length Christianity. We're called to something better than that. So how do we adequately arm ourselves for the battle? We go back to the basics, the fundamentals, back to our roots. We discipline ourselves to remain focused on the foundational truths of our faith or the fundamentals. Scripture, the very word of God. Church, the people of God. Prayer, the promises of God. Let's unpack these. Scripture. Let's start by reading 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe that those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus know the importance of spending time in the scriptures. We know the importance. Even still, sometimes we need reminders to do it, don't we? Why is spending time in scripture so important? I've just put a few things up here for us to look through. It is the revelation of who God is. It equips us to teach and defend our faith. It strengthens us in our fight against temptation and sin. It guides us in our thoughts and actions. It imparts wisdom for our faith walk. It sharpens our capacity for discernment. And it feeds our spiritual growth and maturity. That's just for starters. Each week in the Kingdom Builders class upstairs, we like to ask this question. What does the Bible say about that? Because we can sit there and we can talk about a lot of things and there's some amazing thoughts that are shared in that time together. But what does the Bible say about that? We always want to center there because the scriptures have all these good qualities about them. We must discipline ourselves to go back to the scriptures again and again as the source of truth. As we read in John 1 a few minutes ago, the living word of God, Jesus, was full of grace and truth. What does that mean? How can we be found to be full of grace and truth? I would argue that the primary way to become full of grace and truth is to get to know all about the author of grace and truth by reading his scriptures, which then prepares us for the gift of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. But unless we go to the source of truth, we don't fully grasp that. We don't fully have the revelation. And where else could we learn about the fruits of the Spirit as outlined in Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I think we go right past that little statement sometimes. Against such things there is no law. <laughs> there, you know, life is all about moderation, right? You don't have to moderate any of these things. Just live it out to the fullest. That is so life-giving. But we don't know about it unless we spend time in the Word, reading it, meditating upon the word of God. Convicted? <laughs> I am. I'm convicted to spend more time in the word. I need to do a much better job here. The second fundamental that we talk about is church, which I like to say is joining the people of God, doing the will of God. When I preached back in February, I talked about the gift of community 
And the only thing that I would change about that message today is that, what I, that I would emphasize that by community, I meant church. Um, I think I focused a little too much about community, but I meant church. I mean church. To me, there are many forms of community, but there is no community like the church. You can get community in a lot of different ways, a lot of, in your neighborhood, at your gym, at work people you know, your family, all different forms of community, but there's no community like church. And again, the people, the the church is the people of God gathering to do the will of God. Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. (laughs) Every day we're closer to the day, are we not? So I think that means we need to be together more. That's what that says to me, right? The day is approaching. Every day it's getting closer. Let's not waste a day. Jesus emphasized the importance of gathering with other believers in Matthew chapter 18 when he said, again, Truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. That's a big statement. I think there's more than two or three here today. Jesus is here with us. Think about that. He's here with us. I think we need to spend more time together to be in the presence of Jesus to better understand him. And the Lord will honor that by revealing more and more of himself to us. The early Christians set the example of consistently consistently being together. We recently studied the history of Fourth Avenue here in our preparation for our minister search. What an amazing story as we look at our history of the sacrifices that people made through the generations just to be together. And we make similar sacrifices today to gather in the name of the Lord. Why is gathering so important? As we just read in Hebrews, God says we should not give up meeting together. God says we should not give up meeting together. Worshiping Jesus together draws us closer to him and to each other. We don't have to do life alone. And I would argue that we can't do life alone. Just this week, my 81-year-old mother fainted, fell in her kitchen, and broke her shoulder. You know who she called? Nancy Williams. She didn't call her son, who is in orthopedics. She called Nancy Williams. So the family here steps up, right? And then Nancy called my sister, who called me, and so on. But um, her first thought was to reach out to someone here who was near and dear to her, who has stepped into her world and chosen to make a difference. 
And my sweet mama knew who she could reach out to, who she could lean on, who she could trust. It's beautiful. Nancy stayed there until I got there. And Nancy checked back in all day long to make sure everything was okay. Because that's what we do as family, is it not? Finally, we gather together. Gathering together multiplies our spiritual growth. I feed off of you guys. You guys sustain me. You teach me. You inform my faith. You strengthen me. You pray for me. How many times have I heard people say, I'm praying for you in this body? It changes lives. It has changed my life. And I don't want to be anywhere else but with you guys. You changed my life. Scripture, church, and now prayer. I like to think that prayer paves the way for the promises of God to materialize right before our very eyes. It's just that avenue for God to say, here you go. All you had to do was ask. Because he is an amazing, generous giver. I recently read something that defined prayer as God's gift of his time. Time. Is time not our most valuable commodity? You can't make any more of it. And it just barrels forward, right? Prayer is God's gift of his time. Think about it. How remarkable is it that at any given moment in time, we can commune with the creator of the universe? Anytime, anywhere, with anyone, God will bend his ear and listen and act. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Almighty God, the one and only God pauses to listen to you. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Have you ever been in a conversation when you realize the person you're talking with isn't listening? Maybe they're looking at their phone or on the internet or checking emails, reading a book, listening to a conversation around you in a restaurant, whatever it might be. They're just not listening. I must confess, this happens way too often to Jennifer. <laughs> uh, at times, she's learned that if she will just stop talking, that eventually I'll take notice and eventually might be a minute or more before it takes me to go, wait a second, I'm not listening to the person that I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with here on the face of this earth. That will never be the case with God, ever. He is never not listening. Believe it and act on it. Don't don't let the moments pass you by. Precious moments. 
This is powerful truth. So why is prayer so important? Because it can and will change the tone of your day. Like scripture, it helps you with discernment and decision making. It keeps God front and center in your mind. It strengthens your relationship with God because you're spending time with him. It is an act of submission, just like Jesus modeled. How many times do we read that he went off by himself to pray? And it opens our hearts up for his transformational work within us. That is an unbelievably powerful opportunity for each of us to submit to all of his goodness that God longs for with us. Prayer is the act of submitting our hearts, surrendering our wills, and posturing ourselves to receive the promises of God. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. By surrendering our will and prayer, we are denying ourselves and taking up our cross to follow Jesus. His promises, listen to this list of promises. Salvation, redemption, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Contentment, wisdom, rest. Don't we all need a little bit of rest? Think about the rest that God provides. True rest. Joy, strength, and his presence in our lives. Those are all promises from a faithful God who never fails And if we will submit in prayer as a church family, he will fulfill those promises. I want those promises in my life. Let me be clear. We are in the midst of a fierce battle. And sometimes I'm afraid we may have lost our sense of urgency as God's chosen people. This is the ultimate battle of all battles. Now, of course, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has won the victory. But the daily battle rages on. It is in my life. I suspect it is in your life. The battle goes on. The victory is won, but the battle continues. We can never forget that we have an enemy on the prowl. We cannot lose sight of that. We must be prepared for his attacks. And I think the fundamentals of faith that we're talking about today prepares us to be ready for those attacks. In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer identifies three big lies that we all face. Satan, culture, and the flesh. 
I think that the lies of Satan and the lies of the flesh are often pretty obvious. You can kind of spot those from a mile off. But I think sometimes the lies of culture can be a little bit more sneaky. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. There is no reason to be surprised by how we are viewed in the eyes of the world. They truly think we're foolish. Because they don't understand. They cannot understand because they don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have. I think we need to have a little grace. Even though we might be under attack at times, show a little grace because we have this knowledge this wisdom, this insight that they don't have. But we shouldn't be surprised by it. At times, we may have doubts. We may be led to believe that they're right about what they're saying, culture and this pervasive movement. Sometimes the never-ending barrage of questioning our truths, our faith, It can wear us down. It can make us to accept things that we know are not true or that don't line up with Scripture just because of the constant, never-ending movement to undermine what we know and believe is true. Sometimes it can just wear you down, can it not? That's why it's so important to know the word. To surround yourself with faithful warriors who can encourage and sharpen you. And to develop a pattern of prayer so that you can regularly commune with your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because the battle is there. Whether you believe it or not, it's there. It's ongoing. And unless we're armed and equipped for it, we will be ill-prepared when it comes to our doorstep. 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when people will not not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. I believe that when Paul says the time will come in this scripture, that the time is here and now. The world is confused and the truth doesn't make sense. We must stand firm on the truth 
and help it to make sense. And we need to share it whenever we can. It simply doesn't make sense. They're confused. But because we are in Scripture, because we are together as a family, and because we bend our knee in prayer, God is equipping you and me to share his truths with the world that is simply confused. I think that is an amazing thing that he allows us to be a part of that story. In the Kingdom Builders class, again, I'll reference it one more time, uh, we like to end our time each Sunday with a simple question. Now what? We've always had really good life-giving discussion, but now what? Where do we go from here? So what is this morning's now what? In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Notice that it doesn't say every evil thought. It says every thought. In other words, is the good thought the best thought? Is the timing right? Why did Jesus heal some and not others? Healing's good, right? Why did he choose sometimes not to do it? I think that there was a method to his purposes. And there should also be a method to ours. Jesus was so in step with the Father. Just read about it. He was so in step with the Father that he knew he was able to discern the best yes or the best next step. So how do we do this? We run it through the fundamentals of faith lens. If you're facing a challenging situation or processing on something and wonder what direction you need to go, test it against scripture. Test it with your trusted church family. And test it through prayer to see if it aligns with the core of who God is. If we can develop the discipline of taking every thought captive, even the good ones, to make it obedient to Christ, we will walk more in rhythm with God's plan for our lives. Romans 12:2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember the 1 in 60 rule we talked about? Small decisions, small steps, one degree here, one degree there, can have big implications. We need to remember to course correct by going back to the fundamentals. And never lose sight of the, the one that holds victory in the palm of his hands. Our fourth avenue mission, love God, serve others, share Jesus. That's who we're called to be. That's fundamental to who we are. 
So I ask, what are you waiting for? What will it take for us to notice, to open our eyes and pay attention to the battle going on around us? What's it going to take? We have seen the light. What are we afraid of? We already know the end of the story. In Christ, we have victory over sin and death. Victory. Why aren't we living as victors? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him he was in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome it. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The battle rages. What are we going to do about it?